Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 9, titled Nailed. Uh, I think we all know why it's called Nailed, yes? Uh, yeah. I, a hose you know, got nailed. It, it seems that they've... Uh, you know, in season one, they did some clever stuff with the naming, where everything kind of had an O at the end. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, there were a couple that didn't. Uh, it seems like they're just going pretty literal here. Yeah. I think so. Like, last episode, Fifi, that's obvious. We do uh, have some one. feedback on some... Uh, some name game stuff? Yeah. Some some sly crypto quips. Okay. That the Villig- Villigan might be playing maybe with some us. Chuck and Jimmy stuff here. All right. Uh, sure. That sounds good. What do you think of this episode? This episode was amazing. It, it was really good. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. just when we were starting to talk shit about the Villigan and the Peter, the Gould. Were we? I mean, uh, I, people need feedback. And we were kind of like, yeah, I see your point. It's kind of slow. But I remember last well, last week I said, you know, it'll just be just like them to just punch us in the face in these last two episodes. And this was the first in the, I'm presuming it's going to be a one-two combo. Yeah. Because... I, w- I was on pins and needles on very vari- in various points of this episode emotionally, physically. I yeah. mean, and 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 like cheering for things that I knew were bad and wrong. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. Uh, that that scene with Kim and Chuck and Jimmy in in Chuck's house is Insane. stellar. Insane. Just so good. Um, and then you know the copy shop scene <sighs> at the end is fantastic too. <sighs> Uh yeah. yeah, I I agree. This was a really good episode. Um I, I don't know. I mean, you you kind of have to build it up to this this height to to really pay these things off, right? So, it makes sense that all of this stuff would be loaded toward the end I of mean, the season. I mean, you can't do this in an hour episode of television. No, this has no, to be no. set up over many, many episodes if not an entire season to and to you know, I know it stresses it strains your patience. That was always the thing where like Mad Men, starting in season like three or four, I just like gave up. I'm like, I'm just going to just watch this show and let it happen. And uh-huh. I feel like going forward in Better Call Saul, that's I'm just going to go forward and let this show happen and not try to get too worked up about what it is or isn't doing because it's good. When will when will Jimmy become Saul? That's uh, yeah, yeah. Just just relax. Let Enjoy the ride, man. For sure. Because uh, I'm definitely enjoying it. Do we have anything to talk about before we get into this recap? I don't think so. So we're out in the desert, and a guy that... So I listened to the beginning of the Insider cast. Didn't have time to get through it all. Uh, they make a big deal about, we don't know who it is at the beginning. But come on, everybody knows this is Mike. And- we, we saw the plan last week starting to come together. And we all knew where it was going. It's yeah. not like they were fooling anyone. Um, so he he rigs up this pulley system out in the desert along the road uh, with the hose full of nails, mm-hmm. as we suspected he was going to do. He uh, he stops this truck, this this ice cream truck. He ties up the driver, cuts the tires open, and finds a bunch of money hidden inside, mm-hmm. which uh, we had you speculated must have felt about. Like the smartest person in the room. I did. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it, it wasn't that hard to figure out, right? Although it did sound like they were. I don't know. I guess taking a tire off yeah, sounds like dismantling sounds a truck, like, sure. but yeah. Um, you know what the song is here? Mikuku? Mikuku by La, La Sonora Dinamita. Apparently, that's a dirty song. Apparently, yeah. It's about touching people's butts. Yeah. You uh, grab my butt, for, I think like butt that. is a um, 
is a uh, I, and I don't know why because they say fucking of villainism, yeah. but they, I think he uh, is embarrassed to say vagina or pussy. Oh, because, really? Yeah, it's actually slang okay. for the. Uh, I I would assume ass, but all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's hmm, okay. And apparently they they on set sing this song quite frequently in the English translation. <laughs> yeah, that sounds uh, awesome. Yeah, no, if you. Yeah. I feel sorry for you because this is one of the best. This is one of the better insiders too. Like uh, I thought, yeah. they they went really deep into the behind the scenes crafts, that, and and I fortunately got the chance to listen to it all. I will say that I was getting a little tedious. I I, I find it tedious them talking about oh we can't let the viewer know it's Mike and all this. But then Kelly said, but we all knew it's Mike. I mean, the right. second and, and Vince is kind of like yeah, but but they were talking about how they were trying to hide Mike's Mike's. Uh, movements enough to but, but not I, let I us took know it as like, like it, it, they were insiders talking about respect for the craft like we all know magic is not real but you still do the flourishes and all that stuff sure and so like you know everyone knows it's mike but giving him a reveal is kind of like a heroic moment they can do the camera zoom and the music cue and all that when he takes his mask off and it's almost like yeah, everyone knows it's Mike, but it's still fun to see him reveal himself. I feel like we need to do a revision of everyone knows it's Wendy with everyone knows it's Mike <laughs> sure. and put it to that scene. Yeah, and and the description of Jonathan Banks trying on a different masks was a hoot, too, because he's talking uh-huh. about my nose laying against my cheek. And I get the idea that his face is like a ball of Limburger cheese <laughs> that you're just forcing through fishnet, and it's just getting mm-hmm. distorted and taking all these crazy you know, rum ham shapes. Uh, yeah. Oof. Uh, yeah, and, uh, we, we see here Mike's not using his own car. We, we know Mike's smart, so he's not gonna do that. The only thing this guy saw was that blue car. Yep. So, Mike needs to get rid of that car. I assume he does right after this. We never really see what becomes of that car, but who knows? Uh, uh maybe that'll come back to haunt him. Maybe I mean, sloppy. Last night that I thought the, uh... The name of Hector's place was the winning Greek or the Greek champion. It's actually the winking Greek. Yeah, yeah. And they had a little cute bobblehead that's the a literal Greek that's winking uh, <laughs> in, which I thought was neat. Because no one know. I mean, that's shit that no one's ever going to uncover unless you deliberately go digging for it. And it's it's mm-hmm. just shit that they do to amuse themselves. I love it. Yeah. And and create, you know, a, an interconnected universe. I, I like it. I also like the guy's performance when, you know, he's he's bound face down in a desert and Mike fires up the Sawzall. Yeah. He's like, I like know what the cartel... cartel. Yeah. <laughs> and that was pretty good. And then yep. one, one final thing. Great scene. Love it all. Where the hell does Mike come from with that gun? I don't know. I, I thought the same thing. He comes not from behind the truck, but from the desert... <laughs> That's the thing. Like he's the invisible swordsman from the Three Amigos. I there was, there was a bush, a big bush, up the road. And on second thought, I watched. I'm like, I'm. Gonna, I, I bet that I just missed how close that. But I looked, and it looks like it's like a hundred feet away. Oh uh, yeah. That might close the distance in like five seconds. He just. Eh, what are you gonna do? Ninja magic. Yep. Just saying. Great episode. Uh, but but they do that. That's the reason it's so great. You don't notice some of the creeks in it. Right. And I I was thinking about this scene like why is mike going after the cartel what does he stand to gain here and then you go back to last episode and you remember oh okay so the stacy's talking about how this house is going to be real expensive mike's hitting the cartel not because he wants to take them out but because he wants this money so he can afford to pay for stacy's house uh that's what i came away with at least 
Uh, I disagree. I think that you're maybe would think that on this first blush, but by the end of the episode, it becomes pretty clear to me that Mike wanted to hurt Hector. He wanted to turn mm. the cops made him feel guilty, okay. and he turned. He wanted the cops on the Hector. That was the whole point of that gambit. The money, yeah, that's all nice for Kaylee and Stacy, but he really yeah. wanted to to do, you know, right by the. I guess I don't know. He just doesn't like. The, the the cartel pushing him around. He doesn't like letting his client down. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, so Trek prepares a meeting for uh, prepares for a meeting, and Howard tries to talk him out of going. He's like, "Nope, I really enjoy victory laps. Kind of my favorite thing." And they leave, and we see Jimmy hanging around outside Chuck's house. He, he crosses the park towards the house. We know he's gonna do something. And then we go to the Wait, meeting. We, uh, we skipped over the theme this week, uh, right? I and we don't talk about it often, but I found this was like one of my favorite ones. The what Better Call Saul matchbook, matchbook getting the, pissed on and yeah, urinal the toilet. Mm-hmm. is just a perfect amount of grime <laughs> for for Saul. Yeah, yeah. Uh, poor poor Jimmy. And that's the other interesting thing. As I'm watching this week over week, they've got the Better Call Saul title card, but it's Jimmy. Yeah, and it's like well, this like uh, it's it's like this memento mor- mem- uh, mori or whatever. Or, you know, it's it's this constant thing in front of you. Like this is what's going to happen to this guy. Don't sure. get too yeah. attached. Every victory he wins, just know it's going to be taken away from him because here he is getting pissed in the urinal. <laughs> yep, and pushes him ever closer toward being Saul. Uh, it's it's starting to become real apparent. I mean, we'll talk about it here in a second, but um, d- during the the meeting with. Uh, Mesa Verde, and I guess some some board that's going to approve this uh, new bank branch. Did it throw you for a bit? Because I thought the first thing I'm like, why are they at H H and M to do this this hearing? And then why are they going through metal detectors? It because I've thought that the place that they used oh, right, to yeah. have the regulatory courthouse or whatever it was looked a lot like the H H and M office with the big atrium and all that stuff. Oh, um, hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't get like similar looking vibes, but I I did think that they were going to go to HHM okay. and have a meeting, and so I was a little surprised. Like, why did HHM install a metal detector? Yeah. That seems like Chuck wouldn't want that. Yeah, but yeah, they're going down to you know courthouse or the the county building, whatever it is. And I do love how they make it seem in this, throughout this episode, like he's just getting fried with his radiation. Like he goes yeah. to that metal detector, and it's like ah, searing his flesh. <laughs> Uh, so this address trap that Jimmy set last episode springs on Chuck during the meeting, and they deny the opening of this bank branch, which uh, causes Chuck to get super angry. And he, he correctly identifies Jimmy as the culprit. He goes back to the house. He's frantically searching his paperwork, uh, finds all the correct addresses. So, you know, it's either he made a mistake or Jimmy fucked him, and naturally he goes to Jimmy fucked me. Well, that's the brilliant conceit in this, mm-hmm. is that... He is 100% right, but he sounds like a crazy person right. that right. just won't admit. There's so many reasons why you could make such an easily understand mistake. And the way they portray him as arrogant, I think, during yes. this meeting. Oh, yeah. like He's like, oh, no, you must have made a mistake. The client, you don't know the, the, the address of your own fucking yes. building. Which, which just, I mean... Ugh. This went. If you're trying to embarrass him in front of the client, this went as well as it could possibly. And it absolutely because like, the other thing is, 
You know, he's bragging about all their connections. If we hit a snag, you know, we got the connections in the Federal Trade Commission, and we know all these guys on the board, and we play golf with them, and we'll just smooth it all over. A transpositional error, and they can't smooth that. I mean, I feel like there's so many conflicting emotions I have about this, but I feel like that this kind of demonstrates a little bit that Chuck was you know people are like well that chuck was just a good salesman or whatever but i feel like he might have committed a bit of fraud in describing how much power and reach they had within these commissions right or am i uh, i hmm fraud seems like a strong word. i'm just saying when this man later in the episode says what really bothers me is my own brother stabbed me in the back and he doesn't immediately catch on fire mm-hmm. i feel like he's the kind of guy that might have you know, in his in his in his efforts to throw Kim Wexler under the bus, overstated his own competence and influence to do so. Maybe, I I guess I just take because if he umbrage with the idea that that constitutes fraud. Uh, no, t- not not the way Jimmy up. does. No, no, sure, right, right. Uh, fraud is maybe a harsh word, <laughs> but I mean, I'm saying like serious. if if. if to the extent that they won, they won this contract on the strength of those arguments yeah. that it's not just the knowledge, mm. it's the experience and the intangibles. And one of these intangibles is if we hit a minor hiccup, we can smooth it over because we're best buds with all these people. You can't think of a more minor hiccup than a number transpos- transposition, and they can't get any. You know, they're just thrown out on their ear. Yeah, yeah, uh, it didn't help them there. I don't know. And the thing is, is like I felt like that was a little bit. Um, that, that that was a little bit uh, convoluted anyway. Like that, they're having to make a point to do because they come in and everyone treats Chuck with this deference and respect. Yeah, and then five minutes later, he's getting chucked down the street like he's a you know first year partner or whatever, first year pair. I don't know what you call it. So you think he should have had more sway? He should have been able to say. Oh, just give us a few minutes. We'll fix it. Well, I don't know whether the board. So is it? Standard operating procedure to hold hold things up for six weeks on a minor paperwork issue. That feels like a bureaucratic thing. Yeah. Like, you know what? We have our allotted time. We got a client coming in in 15 minutes. You're not going to have time to do this. Let's push it six weeks. So there's no, there is no, there is no, uh, you know, glad handing or good old boy stuff going on at all. Oh, no, no. I'm sure that exists. But like, it feels like there's something missing. And I feel like the point is that maybe Chuck, Chuck's not a people person. Mm hmm. And maybe people respect him, but they don't love him. Like, and they know he's also scrupulously honest, so he's not going to do. He's not going to give him beanie baby. So I'm wondering if that's what I. That, I guess that's. I know I'm reaching, and I'm probably sound like a crazy person. I probably sound like Chuck uh, screaming about <laughs> Jim, Jimmy's the one that made the mistake. But I just feel like there's something there about him overstating his capabilities to a client. Right, and then uh, him wanting to put the pressure on Kim to commit, the, you know, to, to all this, or the, to admit to all this fraud. Well, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's hypocrisy in him. I mean, that's not controversial, right? He's a hypocrite, right? I, okay. I agree with that, and and the way Kim lays it out later on is just boom, dead on. It's, I mean, talk about nailed. Chuck gets nailed to the fucking wall. Sure. Uh, Jimmy gets nailed to the wall. Everybody gets nailed here. Uh, the thing that really struck me is, my God, just, like, how little Chuck thinks of Jimmy. Like, right. say what you want. Like, their history is their history and, and all that. But he immediately jumps to the conclusion Jimmy did this. No evidence. 
I but, mean, the the only thing he's got is a fuzzy recollection that Jimmy was there at some point. Well, and that immediately sends him on this spiral of Jimmy sabotage me. Yeah, and he's right. He's absolutely right. But right. but God, he jumps to that, that conclusion. And that's so the crazy quickly. thing about this episode is mentally it has you jumping this like. You're such an asshole, Chuck. You're dead on about your brother, but just by but just by think just by you thinking he's capable of it, it makes you a total asshole. It does. Yeah. There's this real weird cognitive dissonance there. Yeah. And also, I want to point out that one of the reasons I think he jumped to that conclusion so quickly is because deep down, Chuck knows he deserves it, and he knows even on a subconscious level the part he plays and his dance that he and his brother does. It's that true. I yeah. you will dwell in the gutter and be in the slime, so that I can be in the heavens and be this paragon of virtue. Yeah. And so, like, I feel like. A, a person that didn't have that codependent relationship wouldn't jump to that conclusion as quickly as he did. Yeah, absolutely. But they and, also do a lot, because I thought this was a little crazy too, but then when Chuck's the kind of guy that would remember something like when the Magna Carta was signed and then oh, yeah. chuckle to himself, huh, that's one year after it was signed. Like, he's that kind of guy, yeah. and that's such a vivid detail mm-hmm. that I kind of believe that he would have come to that conclusion eventually. Okay. All right, just and that's just little... two years of characterization for you. It is, yeah, yeah. They Michael Ke- McKean and McKean, I don't know how you say his name. Uh, Michael McKay and the writers have really worked to get well together to create that character. I mean, it's you know what that character is going to do almost before he does it. Mm. It's a really strong characterization. Let's move on to Mike. He sees Hector having a hard go of it, taking pills when he finds out about the news um, of this truck hit. Then he goes to a bar and he buys around for the house. Is this is Mike being sloppy here? Well, you know, I hadn't. I the first time I thought this, I'm like, huh, this is interesting. I remember my lessons from Goodfellas: you don't flash your cash after a big right. heist. Yeah, is he doing this intentionally so people will see his face and that the Salamanca organization will find out? That it's him, and he wants this confrontation. Oh, this can't go well. I mean, I can't imagine well, given the threat to Kaylee. That... I don't. I don't think that's off the table after you see the whole episode, because clearly, I think he's not wanting to be in their crosshairs. He just wants to fuck with them. Right. So, right. I think he just. I, that's a little sloppy. It feels a little sloppy to me. It really does. But uh, it also builds him up for his epic fall because he's feeling like the smartest son of a bitch in the room, and oh, these cartels. Yeah, I should. He's kind of like. He's Wiley Coyote when he finally caught the Roadrunner, right? Even down to the goddamn trap. That's right out of Acme catalog. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and he's just full of himself, and he got he got sloppy. He, I don't think he, you can defend it, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Mike. You, you made a mistake. Uh, I don't know if it'll come back to bite you, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, he does look happy. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen Mike smile aside from being with Kaylee. Yeah. And in this episode, he does it twice. He does it in the bar here, and he does it later in the diner. He really feels like he is the <laughs> the master of the universe. It really, it stuck out to me. Like, oh, this is weird. Mike is smiling I and, think it's supposed and to. happy. It's strange. I think it's supposed to. And it's, it's going to last about 15 minutes in showtime. Yep. Uh, so Jimmy and Kim are remodeling the dentist's office into their new law offices. Got rid of the chairs. Controversial decision. Yeah. Uh, Kim gets a call from Paige at Mesa Verde saying they want her back. She tells Jimmy, and then she also gets a call from Ernesto, who says Chuck's ready to turn over the paperwork for Mesa Verde. Uh, Jimmy accompanies her to Chuck's house, where Chuck accuses him of sabotaging the Mesa Verde files. He lays it all out, but Kim defends him. Uh... I thought it was interesting, or it's a nice touch that they implied that they pulled an all-nighter on their office. 
Like that's the kind of yeah. hardworking uh, blue collar, white collar people that they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, man, there's just I can't say enough about this scene because it's the only it, the only reason it's not more amazing is because the the what happens at the copy house kind of overshadows it, but. <laughs> Uh, just like Kim's face when she sees Jimmy adhering to this religious thing, you know, this psychosomatic thing, like grounding herself, and she's just like, right. I, this is already a deal breaker for me. The fact that you help this man is beyond me. They go in there and he lays out all this stuff. And we talked about the two sixteen, the Magna Carta signature, mm-hmm. and he how one hundred percent right he is. At the same time, he sounds insane. And they let kind of Kim's face tell the tale between, you know, whether she believes him or doesn't believe him. I think the Magna Carta thing is what actually I I felt I I, I noticed a a slight different change in her note of her performance. That's when she believed Chuck. Hmm. Okay, but she also knows the other truth, which is why Jimmy does the things that he does. And she doesn't want him seem to go to jail. And this is kind of romantic. I, I kind of feel like that she's starting to like this. I don't know if I'd go that far. Well, but, but I I see where you're coming from. Uh, I I just really love, like you said, everyone is right. Everyone is right in this scene, right? I mean, Chuck sure. nails it. Jimmy did this for but, Kim. But I Kim think nails Chuck. Chuck's Chuck a giant is, asshole. Right. Uh, she she lays it all out. Who and when, Chuck is? When and Kim the stands up for Jimmy, him. you want to cheer, but you're also being like, oh no, this is another time where he's completely been lying and. Going behind your back. But and... she knows it. Like, that's the difference She knows here. it now. Right. But but that's the difference here, right? Like, she she isn't being duped by Jimmy. She's defending Jimmy even though Jimmy has done these things. That's a really She's consciously making... reading of the situation. And well, I'm not I don't sure... know how you can read it any other way once they get to the car outside. Because clearly she knows what's up. She punches yes. him. She's angry. She's like doesn't want to talk. But no, but what you said is I don't think that she felt misled by Jimmy. I don't. No, that's not what I said. Okay, so what'd you say? I said she knows she would. Du- she was duped by Jimmy. Okay, but she's still defending him. Yes, because she does agree with all the other things she said, and and she's yeah. kind of okay. So I it's I don't know. It's interesting because first of all, it's not cool to hit your partner. <laughs> Right, that's what I was thinking. Like, what if Jimmy was the one hitting her? No, I'm telling you, no, holy shit, people would go, this "What is, the fuck is this?" this? Yeah, this is, uh, you know, obviously, I'm not saying cops need to be involved on that, but uh, it wasn't cool, right? Um, right? Of course, it's also not cool to defraud your partner and lie to them all the time as well. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I just think it's interesting because I don't see how she recovers from this because even if she likes the scoundrel side of him or at least empathizes with it, the fact of the matter is she's first and foremost a professional and she defines herself by her career. And now she's always going to look at Mesa Verde and wonder, not wonder, no. Yeah. I didn't get this because of my own abilities and influence. I got this through trickery and deceit. Something I'm going to call law cobbler. Uh, now again, I feel like it's Chuck deserves it for the way he went about. I think that he, you know, again, whether you want to call it professional or that's just salesmanship or what, it was pretty scummy thing to do for purely personal reasons too. Oh yeah. I mean, nobody thinks Chuck is doing this because he really wants his client. He really wants to screw his brother. Right. Just like his brother screwing him. So that's like, you know, like all this extra knowledge I have, it's like, you can't just judge the actions based on their black and white morality, you have to... It's almost like the yeah. motives behind them are as important as the actions. 
Yeah. Yeah, in a lot of ways. And I, mean, I think that's why this is the difference scene between murder so and manslaughter, good. right? One you meant to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh and that's why this scene is so good. Uh I just everybody Nobody wants to admit to what's actually going on here, even when confronted with it by Kim. Why does Kim stick up? But for everyone Jimmy? knows it's true. Uh why does she stick up with for Jimmy? Yeah. Well, she likes Jimmy, and I think she correctly reads Chuck that this is not all Jimmy's fault. Jimmy has kind of been shaped by his brother in a lot of ways. Do you think she thinks she can save Jimmy? Maybe. Yeah, maybe so. She hasn't really tried yet. I mean, she like she's if I can just show you a, the right way. She's kind of pushed him a little bit, but not very hard. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I do think that her performance when she's saying, you know, I feel sorry for him, and then her voice drops like two octaves. And I feel sorry for you. <laughs> like that was that yeah. was that was uh dark queen material. Uh I mean I feel like we've given this we've given this scene kind of short shrift, but I don't know what else to say about it except for it's in his dark like again his home serves as like almost as inquisitional hearing mm-hmm. and he's got these silver crazy robes on. Like there's a lot of this uh this is like a witch this is like a witch trial, you know? Right. Oh, and you can see Kim kind of laying out the legal case she would make if he ever tried to talk about this fraud stuff with right. Jimmy. Like, oh, really? You're going to come in and say, based on what evidence mm-hmm. that Jimmy did this? What mm-hmm. evidence do you have? Oh, really? So it's less likely that a man watch, like, looking at 10-point font for hours on end in lantern light That's what I'm saying, didn't like, make a transpositional error? Right. No, you would never win this case. So yeah, exactly, leave it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, she, she lawyers him there, and I... <laughs> I really like that. Uh, now, if Chuck got the tapes where Jimmy's at the thing that night, right? Doing, I mean, I don't know in a court of law whether that you know, and it'd probably be civil. I guess it could be criminal, but I, I don't know what the burden of proof is on that thing. But like, how do you prove that Jimmy? I mean, he's starting up his own legal uh, thing. He went there. You were stable. He had some fucking paperwork to do. That involved exacto knives and scotch tape <laughs> and whiteout and rulers. Like, what? Who's sure, the, that's paperwork. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. Depends on much. Crafts project depends on. I guess if it's Chuck versus Jimmy, Chuck would probably win because Jimmy doesn't have the money or the smarts to outfight him in court. Sure, I buy, I buy that. Uh, let's move on. I well, one final thing I do want to say. This, this is one of those scenes. I don't quite know how to describe it, but every so often you just get this this really good feeling about a scene. Uh, like, this is just hitting all the notes I wanted to hit. This mm-hmm. was one of those. Like, back in season one, the one with uh, Jimmy and Chuck having the confrontation. Yeah. Finally. That was one of those like, scenes. Like, nothing's this left unsaid one. except for the things that are, but you know what they're... You, you, they don't need to be said. Right. Because you right. know. Just felt like a, a perfect scene here. Yep. Uh, this episode written and directed by Peter Gould, by the way. Okay. Uh, Good job. I think Vince gets next week. The Ghoul did his job. Yep. They, I, if they come in and tag team the end of every season, that'd be fine with me. So Jimmy tries to film a commercial at an elementary school. I think it's elementary. Not a preschool, right? Yeah. Okay. Some staff comes out to stop him. He tells them a story about having talked to the superintendent, this being where the pina coladas guy went to school, this even scene. though he's English. <laughs> They buy the story, they go to verify it, and Jimmy quickly gets his very heroic shot. Yeah, this this is where the show drifts into the middle-aged, low-key NPR type of humor that I'm just like, whatever. 
Okay. It's just droll, and I know exactly what's going to happen. I know all the beats, and I don't get a lot of pleasure out of them. Yeah. I will say that the final shot of him in front of the flag is just amazing, and you can totally see how this yeah. commercial is going to round into... Like, it feels I, so better call Saul. Yeah. It's not just a missing link. It's like a new new species of... I, I, that, I wonder if we're closer to Saul than we think we are. Might be. Might be. I mean, he's got the suit. Holy shit, he looks like Saul. Plus all like the Saul. events in this episode. Like, there's, there's... The grim things are ahead for the end of the season, it feels like. Yeah. And I really hope the next episode opens with this commercial. I would love to see this commercial in its entirety. Hmm. I'm wondering how they would fit that in. I don't know. Uh, the the funniest thing in this scene to me—they're is... at the hospital. It's the next morning. Uh, the TV's on. Just happens to be eleven fifteen or whatever at the okay. channel that you'd put an, an elderly person in. You turn it to diagnosis murder, and Chuck's and, forced to watch it. And well, no, he's unconscious. Oh, okay. It just plays as Jimmy. Jimmy sees the contrast between his heroic patriotic bullshit and his cowardly craven nature. That could, right. that could work. Sure. I, I like it. Uh, the funniest thing in this scene to me is the poor kid playing tetherball with himself. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> He's Napoleon Sorry, kid. That yeah. sucks. So we go to Mike at the diner getting oh, breakfast. Oh, did you... Some trivia about Rupert Holmes. Okay. The guy who wrote Pina, Pina Colada. Or actually, He's, his English. proper name is Escape. Uh, he really? wrote all of the episodes on AMC's very first scripted drama television show. Get out of here. Nope, that's what Vince said. <laughs> What was it called? Ah, God damn it. That's the one thing I didn't write down. Uh, you do a Rupert Holmes Wikipedia search real no, quick. Cer- cer- certainly. Uh, in 1996, Holmes created the television series Remember When, spelled W-E-N-N, for the American Movie Classics channel, which later became AMC. Wow. He wrote the theme song on all 56 episodes of that c- series. I have no idea what it's about. It seems like it's about a radio station, maybe. Okay. I would have guessed it's about pina coladas. But. Yep, it's about a fictional Pittsburgh radio station in the late 30s and early 40s. Wow, Mad Men before that's really Wind a weird Men. coincidence. Uh, and I and Pete Peter Gould seemed like he was on his way to playing it like it was a deliberate homage to AMC, and then Vince came in and said, "No, actually, we just came up with that in a writer's room, and it just worked out that way." Which I thought. It wasn't like a tense, uh, like it was like, but it's like I feel like Vince deliberately contradicted what Peter was about to say, and since well, Peter's the people, one who wrote the episode, I'm like, huh, that that that's interesting, right? And you know, whenever they talk about this, they always say, you know, to the best of my recollection or whatever, people have faulty memories. Mm. They they have false memories. They don't remember certain things the way they happened. Mm. You know, I could see why two people would remember it very differently. Okay. Uh, yeah. I who mean, knows which one is right? Then but... they challenged each other to a duel. Right. And they played the, the Amok Time music and got down to business. Uh, Mike's getting down dead to business. Now, by the way. What? That's, that's the reason that you really should listen to the podcast. It's Shit. Hot. Yeah. Yeah. How, how is that going to f- affect season three? Well, season two is in the can, but I, you know, Pete was supposed to take over this season anyway. He's just... It's uh, true. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> Villigan went back on his, uh, his word and they settled things the, the way old-fashioned Vulcans do. <laughs> Right. Uh, so Mike's getting down to business at uh, the diner with breakfast. He's reading the paper, and he asks the waitress if it ever snows in ABQ. Then he gets a call from Nacho saying they got to talk. They they meet up. Nacho's figured out that Mike was behind the truck hit, and it's a problem for both of them. Mike says the, the guy definitely can't identify him and that he's done with Hector. 
But then Mike wants to know why the hit wasn't in the papers. Nacho tells him, ah, some good Samaritan found the truck and we killed the guy. Uh, and Mike doesn't seem to like that. <laughs> sure. Why does Mike ask about it snowing? Uh, Just because he's nostalgic for home. He He's homesick a little bit. I think, Philly. I think he's shooting the shit with this person who he's a regular of, Obviously, and it yeah. turns flirty. And he is, uh, you know, ever who doesn't like flirting? It's 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 nice. He's in a good mood. He's flirting. yeah, he's feeling yeah. it. He's feeling it. He's like, I can pull down this mid fifties, maybe late forties co- uh, coffee waitress. Hell yeah, I can. Hard, hard drinking, hard smoking forties. That's all I'm saying. Well, uh, you know, look at look at uh, this guy's got a face I described. It looks like Limburger cheese. Well, he's seventy. I mean, he, of course, <laughs> that's he does. what I'm saying. <laughs> all right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like you Mike's banging a twenty year old coed or whatever. Sure, it's like feather in your cap, sir. Uh, yeah, he's feeling good. He's feeling snowy. Um, what do you make of? Of this uh, Nacho scene. How'd you like it? First of all, Michael Mando plays this guy so cool and so smart that I started thinking, you know, this is never going to happen. But how interesting would it be if he eventually becomes like an an anti, a Latino anti-Mike? Like, he doesn't become a transition from gangster to cop, but he's like a private investigator. Mm -hmm. And he's disillusioned with the underworld in the same way that Mike was disillusioned with the uh, corrupt Pittsburgh cops. Or was it? Is it Pittsburgh? No, Philly. Philly. Yeah. And he has his own moral code, and he's like, you know, because Mike wasn't always as smart as Mike is now, or as experienced or as savvy, but this guy he just plays us with this razor-sharp intellect. I love it. Yeah. Um, but the, he's seeing the clues that no one else can see, right? He's sure. got the information that they don't have, which leads him back to Mike. That's what made me start thinking of Mike, because that's something Mike would say. You, I started thinking, who's the one guy who can't pull the trigger? Absolutely. So, yeah. But also has the skills to do it. And the fact that he can't believe that Mike did this on his own. and that Mike's... Why not? He beat two of your guys. Like He snuck into his own house, beat the shit out of two of your guys. I mean, back. that's the reason like so much crime works, is because no one's looking for it. Hmm. And it's the second... That's... You know, I mean, this is from knowing some cops and talking to them and also watching a lot of television about cops. But it seems like criminal enterprises almost dissolve instantly as soon as any any real light or heat from a uh, police organization shines upon them. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, you just got to know how something down here, something's going on here. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Here it is. The roaches are, 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 are fleeing. Right, right. And, it you know, it helps if maybe you strike the fear of God into them by by killing a few people and sure. saying, we'll kill you if you talk. But at the end of the day, like the tracks lead back to these but guys. These right? guys are not they're looking, sloppy. they're not looking for people following them. They're exactly. not, they're not yeah. doing any perimeter security. They're not dreaming that anyone would follow these trucks and do the patient yep. painstaking stakeout work that would require to connect all those dots. Right. Right. So like Mike says, you guys aren't as good as you think you are. Right. Um, uh, and that, that, that really hits. Yeah. And what else really hits at the end of this scene is this guy, this good Samaritan being killed. Mike yeah. Mike is once again, like, regardless of whether or not he was actually done with Hector at this point, yeah. there's no way he is now. He's not done fucking with him now. I no. thought it was interesting because in the feedback we got from between the episode, our last podcast and this episode, mm-hmm. a few people went out on a limb and said, I think that Hector still has it in for Mike. That he's humoring him and keeping him alive now, but as soon as he tests, because presumably he'll need them to testify or they got to make sure the two goes out of jail or whatever. But as soon as that happens, he's going to come back around and pop him again. 
Doesn't seem like that. Unless Nacho just yeah, truly does not like know that. the mind. Uh, I thought that was a possibility, but now, unless you want to say that Nacho does not know the mind of Hector Salamanca, which I don't believe, yeah, then no. Mike was just getting in all this danger, which he thought wasn't dangerous, um, just, to, just to get back at Hector. Yeah. No, I... I agree. I think I speculated about like, or, or talked about why the hell Mike would go after these guys uh-huh. now that he's kind of in the clear. You know, it's a dual purpose, right? He doesn't like these guys. He wants to see them taken out. He also could use some money to pay for the house. For but it's not Stacey. just he doesn't like them. It's just that as a former cop, what these current cops or prosecutors told him really stung him. What's that? That, you know... uh you, you did 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 they pay you off? Did they intimidate you? Essentially, are you a criminal right, accomplice right. with these scumbags? Yeah, and he doesn't like that. It's a it's 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 as much pride as it is anything. Okay, or you know, and it's, it's not just pride. It's tied up with his image of his son and mm-hmm. all these things. Yeah, but now, I mean, I don't know. You find out that a truly innocent person, like a good Samaritan type, that just out of the kindness of their heart is helping these people, and they got killed. It couldn't go any other way. <sighs> Such a Breaking Bad thing. I know. It's sad. It's disturbing. But <laughs> that's the world we're in. That's the universe we're, we're watching. Uh, Jimmy and Kim are laying in bed talking about the commercial he filmed and not talking about Mesa Verde. You know, not directly anyway. Mm-hmm. Kim tells Jimmy that Chuck is a formidable adversary and that he shouldn't leave any loose ends, which gets Jimmy out of bed and on the road. Does this get him in trouble? Because when he got out, I'm, I'm thinking, like, is this a test? Like, she's pretty sure he did it, but now she wants to see. Because I felt if he like just it was, jumps out of bed, but, but she had almost like a smile on her face. I thought it was more like, I don't really want to admit to getting involved in this, but I need to help Jimmy here. He probably hasn't done his due diligence on this. But that's why I'm saying, does she on some level admire and like what he did? She Yes. Okay. Yes. I think, I think so, so. Being being an accomplice during all of these scams with Ken wins and then doing her own with this other guy, uh, I think she does kind of like it, and she appreciates that he would go to those links for her, I think, even though at the same time, she's very conflicted, right? And that's why she is angry and she doesn't want to talk about it, but she also doesn't want to see Jimmy get fucked by the situation either. Yeah. She's going to help him out the way he tried to help her out yeah uh then jimmy sees he he's staking out the the print shop he sees ernesto talking to the guy um once he leaves jimmy goes inside and bribes him into saying that he had never been there then he leaves afterward chuck shows up to question the guy about jimmy being there the copy shop clerk denies it um which sends chuck into an em induced episode and he passes out he hits his head hard on the counter while Jimmy watches from across the street. Really pulls a million-dollar baby on that thing. Holy shit. Like, I thought, okay, Ch- Chuck's having another one of his things. He's going to fall over, pass out, and Jimmy's going to be worried. No, <laughs> it's much worse than that this yeah. time. Yeah, and seeing Jimmy across the street, I mean, a lot of people in feedback, and, and I made the connection uh, watching it as well, between the penultimate episode in season two with Walt and Jane... And the penultimate episode in season two of Better Call Saul with right. Walt or with Jimmy and Chuck. Can like, can he let it happen? Yeah. Are you going to be so concerned with this overall game you're playing that, you know, do you call nine one one? Do you go across the street and find out what's up? 
Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And I this scene is so great and so brilliant that I do forgive its many, many contrivances that led us to this point. Because I, I have, feel like I have to say it's a little fishnado-y that Jimmy gets at this all-night copy shop, one of many in Albuquerque, I'm sure, at the exact same moment that Ernie is walking out the door. Uh-huh. And that, that that Chuck's M.O. is to send, uh, you know, Ernie out on the recon and then come and confirm. Yeah. And, like, all that stuff will fit together like, like gears in a cog. But it's so good that, like, I can't even be mad. Right. I, the impression I get is that Ernie's been going around to shop after shop. That's like what Chuck's I'm saying. Not gonna go but with him but all what's the runs. odds that Jimmy would get there at the exact right. same time? Totally. That, Have that all the part's... gin joints and all the, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's 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 great. There's so much tension being built up because, you know, like just essentially Jimmy with this clerk is just him fucking with him. Uh-huh. You know, it's five minutes of Johnny Carnac- Carson and his Karnak routine and... Yeah, and, and then Chuck, Chuck comes back in, and his this guy turning, you know, the fucking him on a testimony at the stand essentially uh-huh. is just sending him into a tailspin, and the lights are jamming him up, and the copy machines That's, are jamming him up. Right, there's so much electricity pulsing through this place, and they do a brilliant shot of a copier copying, yeah, kind of in the corner of the frame. You can see the green lights going yeah, off, yeah, and it's and just again it's getting worse and worse, him. yeah. Uh, what are the triggers for Chuck? It seems like stress. Oh, sure. Re- really, any kind of stress is the trigger. Like, you can see him starting to go into this, and you hear the fizzling brain sound back in the meeting with uh, Paige and Kevin uh, when things don't go his way. Yep. You, yep. I-, I think it's just any kind of real stress. Yeah. But I was wondering, because... I don't know. It also seems to be, like, maybe failure-induced, like, hmm. in a way. Like, his his inability to get the things done that he needs to get done or wants to get done. I'm just, I'm trying to like piece together maybe some clues for what brought this on in the first place. Maybe was there like an episode where he failed uh, huh. in his duty and that caused something. I don't know. We've talked about like Rebecca maybe being on failure Because when he had his big event last year, it was over fucking Jimmy, right? So that, uh, he didn't fail. Shit, I don't so- remember. And, and and like his episodes where he'd go outside and get bathed is like he was all in a Twitter because he thought Jimmy was doing something you know naughty. So it seems like it's right. It seems like it's definitely more generalized as stress than fa- failure based stress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you do you know you can tell this guy's a perfectionist. Oh, totally. And his image of himself is like that's that's all tightly bound in there, and that he just can't he can't even conceive that he would make a mistake or fail like yeah. that. And he gets offended when people even suggest it. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like, you know, he said when he's li- listing this long list of malfeasance that Jimmy's gotten up to, he leaves what I consider the best for last, last, and my own personal reputation has been irreparably damaged. Uh-huh. Like, that's like, and, and like, that, it was in the position in the list as like, that's the ultimate thing. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, there was thousands of dollars, and a client was defrauded, and plans set awry by six weeks, but most importantly... My personal fucking reputation. <laughs> sure. I thought that was pretty pretty indicative of his personality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that might be all Chuck really has and cares about, you know. Yeah. Um and we, we see it time and time again from Schweikert being uh deferential to him for you know, as much as he would be as an opposing lawyer. Sure. Um just being impressed by the He's man. Very Everyone respect- seems to be. 
So yeah, I can see that. Uh, that's and, all I got. And again, I feel like we're underselling it because this scene I know. is incredible. The how... I, I literally went, oh, when his head I hit the know. table. I couldn't believe I it. I know. And I was already kind of like, oh my God, what's Jimmy going to do? Like he's going to yeah. get sick and pass out. But yeah, when he hits his head. Uh, he's I like, see... call, call, nine, call 911. Somebody call 911. He's just like handing him paper towels. It's not going to help the man. Uh, yeah. Do you think Jimmy will rush across the street? Do you think he goes in next episode? No. No. Wow. Okay. You really that's have why, a low opinion of Jimmy. <laughs> and that's why I'm saying I think that we are closer to Saul than we might have thought a week ago. Okay. Because this feels very formative. Like, last year the stakes were all emotional. Jimmy got his feelings hurt. Right. Um, this, like, there's real consequences. Like, I mean, I know it's a tenuous... It's not even that tenuous. A, it's a pretty direct link to say Jimmy did this thing. Mm-hmm. Chuck was right. He denied it, and his girlfriend requested proof, which Chuck, being the guy he is, is almost has to provide. Mm-hmm. So he goes out and does this investigation. If Jimmy didn't do this, his brother would not have broken his neck, potentially. I think right. that's what's happening. He's broke his neck, yeah? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure yet. He could have just passed out, uh, hit his head, you know, got a concussion, and he's just laying there because he's passed out. Yeah, one is. I, I don't know. Uh, I think that injury looked pretty serious, though. And that's the thing. Like they went into like how Al Goto, their stunt coordinator, and uh-huh. uh, the the costumer, like worked together to make that so convincing. And they had him in his full wire rig, with where his body was on really? a pivot point, so a- Al could like make his body seem like it had super fast momentum going in that counter, oh. but his head never actually hit it. And I guess the counter was all like foam rubber anyway. Okay, but they had like his his neck, head, his shoulder, and body, and this complicated Ugh. wire rig, and they all hid that digitally with costuming. That feels dangerous with an actor as old as well. Mike and that's McKean. Pete said, like, look, you know, this guy's like sixty nine years old, and yeah. Al Goda's like, no, like he can do it. And I guess that uh, <laughs> Peter Gould tried it to be convinced, but yeah, uh-huh. it's it's more like a like a low key carnival ride than it is like it doesn't hurt at all. And I guess the inset of him actually hitting the ground. He said that actually was tougher for Michael because he actually did that. Oh wow! He wasn't supported. He just you know the fl- the floor was padded and all that. But right. you know you're still. I don't want to be 69 throwing my ball no. into a padded ground. God, I don't really want to do that right now. Bounced on a trampoline a couple weeks ago. My ma- back was out for <laughs> for weeks. So see, I would have been tempted to just just film it and play it in reverse, like pull the thing away from his head ah. and then roll it in reverse. But I, bet- I don't know that that would have looked right. I'm sure they know much better than I yeah, do. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I bet that's how they would do it in the 50s and 60s, which is why right. stunts look kind of shitty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm not a professional. But, yeah, I, I was... Because I, I wondered how the hell they did that. And then the yeah. fact that it's a wire rig that just looks so convincing and real is uh, kind of amazing. That's cool. It's not just uh, for kung fu movies anymore, boys and girls. <laughs> it's for everything. It's for a lawyer. It's for series. a 69-year-old lawyer cracking his head against the copy machine counter. Uh, that's all I've got for this episode. I really enjoyed it. Looking forward to next week. Yeah. I mean, the finale, it's like... So, is it going to be... Was this the climax? Looking back, do you think this is going to be the climax of the season, or do you still think it's to come? Or is next week going to be laying out the stakes for next season? Uh, I think it might have been this episode. Yeah, feels like to me, too. Which is fine. You know, mm-hmm. I, I do want to see, like, 
what happens right after this, especially like does sure. Jimmy run in? If not, uh, what happens with Chuck? How does that make Jimmy feel? Um, if he does run in, what kind of trouble does that get Jimmy into? Because uh, at the very least, like, of course he's going to play it off like, oh, I, you know, I was in the neighborhood, I was driving by, I saw it, I got out of my car and came to help. Uh, but we all know, and Chuck would know, that's not the case. He was staking it out. Uh, and it would just confirm his suspicions. So, I don't know. Um, I think either way, next week is going to be an emotionally packed episode. Mm-hmm. Um, at least for a good chunk of it at the beginning. And then hopefully, yeah, they lay some interesting track for season three. Uh, do you think do you think Jimmy and Kim's relationship survives the season? Yes. Yeah, Kim's reaction and yeah. I didn't think so, but Kim's reaction in bed, it seems yeah. like what would he now I don't know, breaking your brother's neck? Would it be interesting <laughs> if mean, it's not like he went over there with I, a karate chop. But... I know, but I'm saying there is a direct line you can you know, this wasn't like Chuck was just out there doing anyway, and he was just fuming mad about his brother, and that caused him to slip in a puddle of water. Right. Like, you know, he wouldn't even have been there in that situation wigging out if it wasn't been... No, but I, I almost wonder if Kim's being set up to be the kind of character, like, Jimmy's racked with guilt, and he confesses to her, and she is the one who says, oh, just like you tried to do. Uh-huh. You can't blame yourself. Your brother... Yeah. Like, it'd be interesting to see her just completely flip the other way and excuse everything Oof. and enable him. Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I think it does survive at least this final episode of the season. Yeah. Um, and I think going into season three, things are going to be changed between them, but I don't think over. I think they got to be careful that they don't break the character of Kim because, like, right. And when you say like she might flip, I'm a little worried that that would feel wrong. That's why to I'm me. saying this because after I articulated, I'm like, man, is that the Kim Wexler I know? Yeah. Like this episode's right up against. This because you know at the end of the day it's it's a it's a plum in a whole fucking fruit stand of HHM clients that makes okay. or breaks her and Jimmy and Chuck was kind of a shit weasel for doing for stealing it from him in the first place etc 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 but you know once necks get broken <laughs> that's that's a little yeah. more serious I, I it's and you look at how she reacted to some of his other shenanigans right sure. The, that could have, you know, quote-unquote got him disbarred. Uh, seemingly minor things compared to this. Yeah. But she keeps getting more and more invested. Every, t- every time she sees the flashing red lights and says, don't ever do this again, or don't ever tell me about this stuff again, she's yeah. set, and then, but then continue to deepen the relationship, she's set herself up for this. So yeah. I definitely think they can turn her into a, a much more interesting, darker character. It's just... If I, you know, and I'm sure they're sweating. This is one of the many details they sweat. Oh yeah, that. Oh wow. Um, you know, if we want to take her there, we got to we got to do gradual and and really think of the situations because the audience remembers the kind of person Kim is. Yeah, and this is the thing they're good at. I mean, all throughout Breaking Bad, yes, it was entertaining. Yes, you had comedy and you had um, a lot of plot machinations and stuff. But ultimately, it came down to the characters. Yeah. And their relationships, and they carry that right over into Better Call Saul. That's the best part of this show for me. Yep. Um, just seeing how these characters work, you know, both together and against each other. It's really brilliant, in my yep. opinion. How do you feel about the cameos after you got a couple of episodes past it and you see what a vital component that, like, Hector was to the, the, the plot? Uh, I'm I'm over it. In the moment, it kind of annoyed me that there were so many back-to-back, but... You know, Can you remember a time that, that Hector and Mike were ever in the same room in Breaking Bad? 
Hector and Mike. I know they had a powwow. And I thought it was out in his chicken shack. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. But I can't remember if Mike was there or not, because I feel like... I don't think he was. I think... Because um, if he wasn't there... I don't think so. I don't think they set this up, but do you think Vince was thinking, like, you know what? A piece of trivia. We never had Jonathan Banks in the same room with this guy. What if we make that, that, like, you know, we'll, we'll imply that Gus and Mike are on the secret mission to take down the Salamencas, and that they never really knew I had Mike on the payroll? Uh yeah, that's an be. easily disproven theory. They're either in the same room or not. But right, right. I know. I mean, I just I I hear these stories from these people, uh, and and how much how much crazy inside ball they play that we don't pick up on unless they told us. And I just think, man, sometimes the sky's the limit with these guys. Yeah, you know, in the episode, the uh, copy copy shop clerk, mm-hmm. uh, it was 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 helping Jimmy out, providing with a lot of extra services. Right. Uh, a lot of a lot of extra things above and beyond what you would expect out of his station in life, right? You know, he's just a copy shop guy. He's going to unjam your 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 paper jams. He's going to hand you some exacto nice, but he's not going to cover up your quasi criminal activities. Uh huh. Well, we're we're like that copy shop guy, except for we're not charging hundred dollar bills. This is not going to be time consuming nor expensive uh, to get to get our extra services. You can go to club.baldmove.com and for for ones. You got a two. Once, you got a two dollar wow. bill. You got a. You got a, congratulations. You subscribed to Club Ball Move for a month. Okay. Do they make two dollar bills anymore? I think they still do. I don't they know do. why. Okay. I see them once in a blue moon. What? No one. Why? Hmm. They okay. print them just so people can subscribe to club.baldmove.com, <laughs> where you can get a bunch of extra content, tons of extra podcasts that we do just for club members. We do our uh, first run movie reviews, where the general spoiler free review is free for everybody. But if you want to know our detailed, in depth commissionedish podcast style thoughts on it you got to be a club member uh vip forum sections all kinds of interesting and entertaining stuff uh and you support independent podcasting which makes podcasts like this possible and for as low as a buck a month sign up for a year it's 12 bucks and you get all that stuff for a year ad free podcast you never have to listen to these awkward pitches from a non-professional marketer uh to a reluctant public ever again so do I need to get in front of American flag? Do I need to get fudge out here? Is this what it's going to take? I'll do it. I need I need the dollar. I need the $2 bills. Bring, bring them to me, club.ballmove.com. All right, shall we get the feedback? Let's do it. If you want to send us feedback, here is where you send it. If Better you cast. Like, I don't if know. If you like pina ca feedback. Yeah. <laughs> what? When you want the flavor of onion in a dip. Uh, you use better cast saw at baldmove.com or go to forums, forums at baldmove.com, or we have a new thread each and every week to discuss with your fellow fans. Uh, Ben D said, Hey guys, uh, it's starting to feel almost too obvious that the writers are serving up Ernesto as Gus's son. Okay. I was hoping you would include this one. Uh, I mean, the guy definitely echoes Gus right down to the outfit and glasses. See attached photos, which... You know, he's got this he's got Gus at his most smiliest, how may I help you? And Ernie at his kind of his baseline Ernie. And uh, there's a there's a resemblance there. And especially his name, Ernesto Gustavo. Uh I sh- know this could just be coincidence, but check out this interview Peter Gould gave last year, right after Ernie's first appearance, and it's an EW article. And the quote is there is a character who's absolutely key in this episode who has been introduced, but as far as I can tell, nobody out there has realized the significance of this person. Mm. This person turns out to be really pivotal in Jimmy's life. That said, Breaking Bad definitely made it seem like Saul knows Gus through Mike, not through his son. 
I know a guy who knows a guy. So who knows where this is really going? Uh, yeah. It's good theory. I like it a lot. It's... Uh, Could be the link between Mike and Gus. Yeah, I mean, to be pivotal in Jimmy's life, it doesn't have to mean that he has personal knowledge of, of Gus and Ernesto and all that stuff. Right, I mean, we're seeing it play out that he's pivotal in Jimmy's life right now. Like, he goes out and he finds a copy shop and he brings Chuck over there and, like, this might be the thing he's talking about, but... Do you think... Okay, here's my idea. I don't believe that Ernie is Gus's son. Because I don't okay. think Gus has children. I... Uh, I I got I'm someone. We, yeah. we uh, someone said, "Hey, well, Gus talked about having kids. He had kids, toys, and his." But we talked. About, I mean, right? We talked about that on the podcast. We talked like, about not really believing, thinking that's a cover. Yeah, he's also a manager at a chicken joint. What do you want? Like, right. Is he well, really? Technically, yes, he really is. But that's guess that's true. It's also a front. That's a part of the yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I wonder because we know that his friend Max, perhaps lover Max, uh-huh. uh, he established a scholarship in his name that's right and he said that there's an annual winner and he pays a full boat scholarship to whatever school you know i can't remember all the details because i'm kind of spinning this off on the top of my head what if ernesto is actually one of the beneficiaries of gus's scholarship so that he feels a real connection to the man gus and he becomes dimly aware of mike's activities and passes that information along to gus okay all right. That's where I think that's where I'm going more towards than Ernesto is Gus's son. Right. Uh, maybe Mike just wins the scholarship. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, He's certainly yeah, the I, I, I do really like that theory, though. Like, there's something. There's something about Ernesto that, that identifies his demeanor. And what other character could Cool be talking about? It's so submarine that was like, just introduced that, I mean, I, I guess I need to go back and watch season or episode eight yeah. and nine to see if there's any other small scale thing that yeah. I can't think of. Anyway, uh, great, great idea, though. Uh, really got our juices flowing there, Ben. Uh, Kristen S., you guys mentioned the possibility of Jimmy and Kim staying together through Breaking Bad time arc. At some point in season three of Breaking Bad, Saul mentioned to Walt that I caught my second wife screwing a stepdad, my stepdad. He's also mentioned something about women from Thailand and the Czech Republic. These women are so grateful to even be here. Are we thinking these are just off-the-cuff jokes? Yeah. With the Kevin Costner scene playing out in season one of Better Call Saul, I feel like they might not be. Wait, wait, we we haven't been... We don't know that Jimmy has a stepdad. Like, we haven't seen anything about no, their parents. No, but we thought the Kevin Costner thing was so far over-the-top hyperbole. Right, and then it turned, and then out, it turned to out, be... out to be a real story. Yeah. So... Now, the other thing is... Uh, if so, they haven't introduced any of those elements yet. Open relationship. Right? Or he's just cheating mean? on Kim. Okay. Like, what? that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I feel like they're... But he caught his they're, second they're, wife cheating on him with his... Ste- sleeping with his stepdad? Oh, wait. So, do you, so that's not going to be Kim. Even if you grant the... Even okay. If, if you grant the rest of the story is true, I don't believe that Kim would cheat on him with his stepdad. Right. We haven't met his stepdad. So we don't know that he Kim has a stepdad. his first wife? That would be interesting. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't but know. You, I mean, but that's it the could thing. also just be a solism, right? Yeah, I mean, like, he's so full of shit. Just because he was right once, I mean, he's yeah. the broken clock. He's got one more to go, and, this, and then you know, I. Yeah, but it's again, you can't say either way. It's sure. he's Schrodinger's asshole. You have to actually see whether his story is true or not before you can take it with anything but a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brendan from Austin says, you guys seem to agree that at this point in the story, Mike is no longer in danger from Hector Salamanca and the Mexican cartel. 
And as continued actions may in fact put himself and his family in more danger than if he kept the 50 grand and walked away. Yep. Um, personally, I don't think this is the case. Uh, actually, I don't know why I left this in because I thought we did talk about it. A bit, yeah, but... you were. I, I maybe I wanted to give you credit for the this the seemingly good theory that was disproven by Nacho's statements, but uh, right. So yeah, sorry. Don't want to make you look dumb because you actually weren't. You just were disproven by the Villigan. Sure. Scott V just listened to the two eight oh eight cast. I also heard the Insider cast. You quoted the Villigan talking about Howard's feelings towards Kim. You took that as Chuck leaning on Howard to punish her. Uh, what I got from Vince was the, something I'd never thought of before, that Howard has romantic feelings for Kim. So when they kept pushing her after she bought the me- into the mess of Ver- Mesa Verde, was really him pissed that she is screwing Jimmy. Uh, that is my new take on Howard. What do you guys think? Wow. Howard has romantic feelings for Kim. I feel, I, Howard comes across as asexual to me. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I get an asexual vibe from him. I just haven't seen anyone he's interested in, I guess. And cuz I haven't Which is felt why it with I say Kim. Asexual. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean he's asexual. I know that. that just means he hasn't shown hasn't had cause to show his sexuality. But I Yeah, he could just be because who would I he I just have... don't feel it like I haven't felt that between them. It's an interesting hypothesis because he is so professional. Yeah. That there's no fucking way he would come on to one of his employers, employees, Certainly. especially one that's subservient to him. Uh-huh. Um, and I think he's also a genuinely nice guy. I think so, despite what we thought of him in season one. Yeah. So, and that he's, you know, and that's the other reason why I think, I don't think he's behind all the stuff on Kim. I think it's because I just feel like that Howard left his own devices would not be this way to Kim at all. The oh, only... I, I think he would. I think he has good reason for it. I still think it comes down to the branding. Hmm. I think he's a stickler for the branding. It's his father's company. He wants to see this thing done right. He did so much sacrifice. And Kim fucked it up. He gave up all of his dreams to at the at the altar of Hamlin and McGill. I, and I get I and get your justification only... yeah, for yeah. it being Chuck too. Like it could still go either way, but I really feel it's like it's really Howard. impossible to say on these things. Yeah. But it's fun to speculate about. Uh, Ben from Newcastle, England, presumably home to the Newcastle Brown Ale. (laughs) I'm guessing. Yeah. Where else would it come from? If if, if it's coming from somewhere else, you guys got a copyright infringement case. Just call Saul. Jim and Aaron wanted to throw out a random question. Who do you think is the most interesting character out of Jimmy, Saul, and Gene? Of course, Gene is his uh, Nebraska alter ego. I think Jimmy is the character I have the most interest in, followed by Gene and finally Saul. What What are your thoughts? Yeah, you might I kind be right. Of agree. Uh, Jimmy certainly number one, and it's not that Saul's not interesting. It's just we know the most about him, and he's he's the he's like the cocoon. Yeah, he's he's not a character. No, uh, he well he he is a character being put on by Jimmy and or Gene, right? Like Gene is less of a character than than Saul is because Gene is more real. Well, Jimmy is as close as you can get to the real Jimmy, right? Absolutely, yeah. he's not really playing an act, and we know that. Yeah. Saul is essentially how Jimmy acts when he's conning someone. So that implies that it is a role. So you're right. Jimmy and Gene are closest to the true source of whatever the character is. Yeah. They feel like human beings, whereas Saul feels like a character. But when I first read that, I'm like, Gene over Saul? What the? Uh, you know, and it's <laughs> yeah. like, actually, he's probably right. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think now, I, I'm think i with you, Ben. Now, who's the most entertaining of the three? It's easily Saul. I mean, every time Saul steps into a room... I know I'm in for a treat, but that's true. But like, who's the more interesting character? I think it's Jimmy. 
All right. And 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 Jimmy's Jimmy's giving him a run for the money on the entertainment value too. That's true. Um Maximilian V, cool fucking name, man. Watching Fifi, one thing I noticed that no discussions or that no discussions I heard seem to catch on to regarding Hamlin's motivation is his tie. This is my least favorite part of Breaking Bad lore, but I want to read it because I know tie. I know people like it. I know people love it, and I know you like it, so I'm reading it for you people. All right. This is Vince Gilligan's world, so we know that color can be super important and full of meaning. And looking at Howard's color scheme, there's a slow shift happening. Since the beginning of the series, he's been set in a blue motif until this episode when his tie and pocket square take a shift to purple, a color in between Hamlindigo of the firm and the red representative of the criminality and underworld in the Gilligan universe. Mm. My prediction, Howard is starting to turn on Chuck hard. He meant everything he said to Kim in this episode, and he's beginning to look for his way out. Howard is that... turning rogue. So this is representative of rogue. him... Rouge, which means red in French. That's true. QED. <laughs> uh, so is he going to become a bad guy? Like, is he just, is this him, like, kind of bowing out of law? Like, what, what's he getting at here? I don't know. With the it's, criminality it's, it's, it's stuff. The, the, because he's certainly not The color leaning. stuff is the, is, the color stuff is interesting thematically, but I don't feel it has any predictive value because it's essentially like Nostradamus. You know, red okay. can in Vince Gilligan's world can mean passion and crime and be, and all these different things. Like, I don't know. Right. Like, he could embezzle a bunch of money from Chuck. He could turn into the trigger man for the cartel. He could. I mean, I fuck. I don't know. Maybe do something to try and push Chuck out of the firm. I don't know because that's now that is an interesting possibility because at some level Howard's got to see Chuck's performance of late as more detrimental like god i liked it better when you were at home being crazy yeah and look for a way out that's kind of interesting but anyway i don't mean to poke fun at you maximilian it's just like i've long standing had a beef with the color the color <laughs> right. wheel theory but again i know a lot of people like it and find it interesting mm-hmm. uh emma i know most viewers hate chuck and love that jimmy got revenge on him with the doctor documents from last week but to me, this was another illustration of just how far gone Jimmy is morally. Persuading Mesa Verde to stay with HH&M was a dick move on Chuck's part, but it was a fair play, and there is no deception or sabotage involved, except for all those connections with the FTC that were impotent Ooh. to override a single, a simple transposition of, of numbers. Uh, clear fraud, Your Honor. I disagree with what you said, that what Jimmy did was just responding to Chuck's meddling. He's manipulating documents and inserting errors, which is meddling on a way level way beyond Chuck's sweet-talking Mesa Verde. And honestly, I agree with you. I understand that I was fully taking a pro-Jimmy stance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know. What made it worse was in Episode 9, uh, was that Jimmy wouldn't admit the truth about altering the documents when Chuck spelled it out for him. Asshole or not, this is the guy with a debilitating mental illness and watching Jimmy and Kim gaslight Chuck who was completely right about what Jimmy had done, was pretty unsettling to me. All the worse when the copy guy denied it to his face as well. Chuck's situation in this episode is kind of nightmarish. Uh, it is. It's... it's. Uh, man, what's the guy? The the get, Terry Gilliam? Mm-hmm. It feels like this part of that, uh, of a, 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 like Brazil, uh, you know, where guys losing his mind and, and, and can't accept the reality around him. Uh, 
Maybe he was asking for it, uh, but that's a tough argument to make about someone that fragile. Chuck's going to have a bleak ending. I'm thinking either brain damage from the fall or involuntary commitment. But I think that when the whole story is over, we'll look back at him as a kind of a Cassandra figure who's pretty much called things correctly, right down to Jimmy as a lawyer being a chimp with a machine gun and Jimmy ruining Kim. Her going along with Jimmy's document tampering is going to haunt her. Haunt her. My question to you would be, Emma... Is that going too far into the Chuck direction? I don't feel like you're acknowledging Chuck's role as the older brother and the formation of Jimmy as the character that he is. Right, and that's why I say in that scene with Kim, Jimmy, and Chuck this episode, no one is wrong. Everyone is absolutely right. Um, They're all doing, you know, they're all just driven by their views of each other, and it's... Uh, I don't really fault anybody for, I I don't know. I mean, yeah, committing fraud, not, not cool, man. Um, you probably shouldn't do that. I, I understand why you would do the things you're doing in that situation though. From Chuck's side, from Jimmy's side, from Kim's side, all of them. Yep. Uh, that's why it feels so good in that scene. Emma's got a crazy theory for you, Jim. All right. She says. involved coffee? (laughs) No. I'm wondering whether Jimmy's plan all along was to goad Chuck into a public meltdown in order to have him committed. It seems unlikely because it was Kim who gave him the idea to go to the copy place, but the way he says call 911 feels almost like he's directing the whole thing. Why else would he be watching instead of getting the hell out of there after he bribed the guy? He is directing the whole he thing, needs but Chuck he... out of the picture for the sake of his business future with Kim is just Jimmy's way of sending Chuck to Belize. No, you're, this you've gone off the rails is here. A crazy I'm sorry. Theory too far. I crackpot, crackpot theory time. I I read him saying call nine one <laughs> as please someone call nine one one. I don't want my brother to die. Yeah, he's trying to direct it because he cares about this Chuck. This is not what I wanted to happen. Yeah. Now. Uh... Getting him, I don't even think getting him committed is something he wants to happen. No, he actively fought that in season one. I still think he would fight that. Yeah. Uh, Barry Carter. Hey, guys. Amazing episode and final few. Now, let me ask you this. If he had committed Chuck last season, would that have been ultimately the best move? Because Chuck needs help. He does. Jimmy not getting him his help. Like, if Chuck wasn't there... Uh, to fuck with his deal with the new firm, to fuck with Kim's new... Like, a lot of these things would have gone down very differently. So yeah. Chuck trying to spare Chuck's pride and his independence and deny him the help that he needs, realistically, uh, might have brought all this... I mean, it's, it's, it's a Greek tragedy kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe Shakespearean I, tragedy. I don't know that Chuck needs to be quote-unquote committed i think you know he can function on his own as long as he has someone bringing him the stuff he needs on a daily basis right um like i I never got the impression from chuck that he was uh going to harm himself or harm anyone else it's not it's not like that it's just he can't leave his house and there are plenty of people who can't leave their houses they don't need to be committed right they just need assistance yeah, but that's the thing. Like, Chuck needs... I, I feel like that he's not got a disability so much as he's got a mental illness. Mm-hmm. That if you treat his... Qual- so, like, you know, if someone needs living assistance, that's providing him the greatest uh, standard of living you can considering their condition. Right. Chuck has not reached maximum improvement, so his quality of life could be so much better. Right. He does need some counseling, Yeah, certainly. Like, um, you know, like living in... like He's got no physical... 
or, or a reason to to be a shut in the way he is. So like to yeah. the extent that he can get therapy or take medication or do you know psychological evaluations, I don't know. That seems like it would be the the net good thing for him. Yeah, and I mean if you if you want to rewind the clock and say would Jimmy and Chuck be better off if Jimmy had decide, decided to have him, you know, committed when he was in the hospital, I think the answer is probably yes. Uh-huh. But I, I still don't know that I would fault Jimmy for not making that decision. Oh, no. No, no, no. But I think it's, in, it's unquestionable Jimmy would be better off, and it's very debatable, yeah. probable, that Chuck would be better off, too. Right. Um, hell, they could get family therapy and just talk out this shit between them. Yep. Uh, anyway, back to Barry Carter. Uh, hey guys, amazing episode in the final few episodes where Chuck bashes his head is right up there in the history of holy shit moments from Breaking Bad Universe. Now, I'm a Brit, and being uh, this this being a tiny place, as it were, even if you are driving at 4 a.m., you'd rarely have an empty road for very long. Can you give a Brit a geography lesson? <laughs> is it really common for some of your highways to be empty for long enough for Mike to confidently pull the job he did on the truck without anyone else driving past? I would say yes in that area, sure. I mean, there's areas in like our neck of the woods where you yeah. can go in the middle of the night and not be bothered for hours. The, the U.S. is mind-bogglingly big. But yeah, get at Google Maps and look at New Mexico, man. Yeah. It's fucking nothing. There's nothing there. There's just, yeah. And, and, I totally and buy get it. Get a road between there and Mexico. Uh-huh. Um, I also think the other thing you got to consider is the flatness of the terrain that you can literally almost see to the horizon. And there's this phenomenon in 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 hot pavement with it called the mirage, where it looks like you're essentially your roads ending in like a pool of water, like right. a shimmering silvery thing. Where I could see a a man, a little tiny figure by a billboard, could hear a truck or a car coming from a very long distance and hide if there was like a one off, you know, car going there. But no, I think that's very realistic for. The desolate stretch of roads that they've that they've and they, you can yeah. even tell that's not like a main. This guy's not driving down the main highway. Right, that's some kind of chip seal bullshit, almost seasonal road that they've laid through some reservation or something. Yeah, he's he's taking the back roads. He doesn't yeah. want any trouble. Yeah. Uh, so sure, I I totally buy it. Yeah, but no, I, that, that's I thought fairly realistic. Uh, Alex C said Vince always said Breaking Bad is about taking Mister Chips to Scarface. If you guys had to come up with the equivalent pitches for the arc of Better Call Saul in relation to Jimmy and Mike, what would they be? Taking Jimmy to, to Saul. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all there is to it. Um, I, Mike's tough because yeah. it's not like Mike had a whole lot of miles that he had to travel to get to where he is now and to where who he is with Gus. In fact, right. my, the most interesting thing, I think, is going to be what is, what is his internal justifications? Because I don't yeah. think... His morality or moral framework changes all that much. Yeah, not so much. Uh, he does become willing to kill. He does, um, but but not become civilians. willing to work with gangsters. It's like how far how far away does he really get? I I think he gets a ways, but not like Jimmy and Saul. Well, but he, like he says, Although Jimmy I've, and Saul are pretty much he, the didn't same. Didn't he say guy. I've, I've I've I know I've known bad cops and I've known good criminals. So I feel like right. he thinks with his moral code that working with the good criminals is better than working with bad cro- crooked cops. That's true because yeah. the way they run the streets is better. Uh, and honestly, neither of these characters are that far from who they become in Breaking Bad, right? I mean, Jimmy is not that far from Saul. No, but I was thinking like maybe uh, from Fletch to Tom Hagen. 
Except for Tom Hagen's not really. He's a deaf. Fletch? Like. Yeah, Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase, Fletch? Classic Chevy Chase. Right. Uh, Fletch to Tom Hagen. Yeah, like he's a scoundrel con artist with a heart of gold kind of guy. And then Tom Hagen's a criminal lawyer, but he's not flamboyant. I guess just not a comparison I would have ever thought of. But it's sure. tough. N- name another lawyer uh, yeah, like, right. you know. And I guess like Walt Saul? wasn't really like Scarface at the though he did. I don't know. It's pretty close. It's a pretty comparison. Yeah. Uh, huh. It was a cha- it was a challenge. Mental. If, if anyone comes up with anything better, maybe that's something we can do in the feedback ahead. I, I, the the change from Mister Chips to Scarface was much more dramatic. I feel than yeah. either of these characters' changes are going to be. Um, because you look at Walt in, in the beginning of season one, what was, and he is just a completely different man. What was the, <laughs> what was the, um, character that, uh, was on the shield as a Vic? Vic Mackey, yeah. Vic Mackey. Maybe Mike would be from Vic Mackey to Mr. Magoo. <laughs> Except for Mr. <laughs> Magoo if he was competent. <laughs> right. Because he look, I mean, the, the physical resemblance is striking. Yeah. Yeah, he's... Just need some glasses. Anyway, if you got, if you guys have and gals have any other uh, ideas, let us know, and we'll pass them on. Alec, on the next podcast. Uh, okay, are you ready for Crazy Theory number two? Bring maybe it. three. I love them. If you take the first letter of each episode title, they spell out Scabberbiffnik, which right. of course means nothing. But if you rearrange them, they spell out Fring's back. Yep. Could this be a coincidence? It does seem like something Gilligan would do. Breaking Bad Seasons 2, two episode titles, after all, were 737 down over ABQ. And all those taken in isolation fit the episode perfectly. Yep. So. Uh, interesting. So he's going with. The anagram. The anagram. God. He's going with the, low, the, the Tom Riddle, Lord Voldemort bullshit. Yeah. Well, I, I, if. Maybe. I'll, I'll tell you this. <laughs> If next week Gustavo Fring it's shows back, up, yeah. if, Car- if, if Giancarlo Esposito shows up in next episode, there's not a single son of a bitch in this world that can talk me out of this theory being real. Right. Especially with Ernesto showing up. It's like, that may happen. Yep. Could happen. Uh, and I would not be opposed to it. Yep. And if not, there's not a person in the world that can tell me this theory is correct. Because it's like that's a binary. Either Gus shows up yeah. this season or he doesn't. And it has to be this season. It has to, and it has to yeah. be this episode because the whole puzzle wasn't out until this next episode. Right. So right. maybe the next episode is just called Fring's Back. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's K. It's uh what is it? Knockdown or I don't know. I forget there we, that that's it's it's something that's not Fring's back. Fring's back, K. Fring's back K. <laughs> Uh, Michael, Kim blew me away from in this episode. Expertly written by the Gilla Gang and superbly performed by Ray Seahorn. Kim has firmly established herself as the anti-Skylar White. It's awesome to see her develop into such a powerful and nuanced character. What's your take on her being the anti-Skylar White? In, in what way? She's a dry blanket instead of a wet blanket. Okay, she's an enabler instead of a disabler. Now, I think what's interesting is that the audience appears... Like, Skyler's by far the more realistically written character. If you were a real person and you had your husband doing these things, you'd pr- act closer to that. Whereas uh, Kim is arguably more of the fantasy. The girl who's just going to roll with whatever scheme and scam and secretly admire you for it. But the audience okay. seems to respond more viscerally to the fantasy than they do to the reality. 
more Which, positively. I guess that's not a surprise. Yeah, I I mean, I see them as both pretty realistically written, just with different personalities. I mean, what I'm saying is, some people odds, are going to the odds that your super legal girlfriend would secret would would tacitly ad, uh, uh, tolerate, if not admire. Your criminal in, uh, uh, proclivities. Mm-hmm. God damn, I'm talking like the fucking Riddler today. Uh, that feels like maybe a one in a thousand type of situation. Whereas okay. your wife of 20 plus years, mother to your children, being horrified by you being a meth cooker and just acting weird when you're on. That seems like that's like, you know, nine out of 10 times, if not more, that's what's going to happen. No right. one's going to give you that much space. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I, I like them both. I I don't have a problem with the way either one is written. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I, I obviously, I like, or maybe it's not obvious. I really like Kim and her portrayal. I think yeah. Ray Seahorn is, is amazing. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to talk about. Uh, Dan from Mancaster says, can I just say that... Mancaster? Manchester. Okay. We're Mancasters. <laughs> Uh, yes, we are. <laughs> we're person casters. That's what it is. I don't want to use that sexist man caster term. Dan from Manchester says, hey, "No, God, just stay on, just stay on your fucking topic, Aaron. Come on. Can I just say that you can come shovel my driveway is now the greatest come on of all time. Mike should be fine this cold winter. Was that line intended to be played that way, or did the actress uh, just take it to that level? Oh, hell, maybe it's just me that took it there. Everybody took it there." It had to be she written there. as, because else it makes no sense. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. My mic's getting a little flirty. The waitress is getting a little flirty. You can tell they have some kind of uh, sure. relationship. Whatever. It's like you and all the burrito whatever guys. That is. Right. Yeah, it's just right. Like when I go in and I ask about, other, and they're touching your forearm. Does it ever snow in Cincinnati? <laughs> uh, our, old, our old pal, Barry Goldman, MD, or DO. He's not, that's why he wasn't a real doctor. He was a... Dental doctor of osteopathy, pathy. They're like equal. They're like two separate but equal branches of the medical doctor. Hmm. Anyway, also proprietor of Madrigal Electromotive and right and 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 spawner of a bunch of theories during the run of Breaking Bad. Fun guy said uh, has a couple observations. Didn't the driver singing remind you of Gail singing before? uh, You know the thing that happened with him. The thing that happens in in the the episode. Uh, I mean, as in as much as no, I'll say no, because mm. people sing. You need to be wearing it's a, a very scarf, different song, and you need to be in front of like a laser beam background for me. <laughs> right? Then it would have reminded me. <laughs> it was exactly like the scene. I would have gotten a reminder. Yeah. Uh, two. Didn't the hijacking the truck remind you of Gus's trucks being hijacked by the cartel and Mike shooting it out with them? Yes. Yes. That one hits, and that I'm I'm almost feel like that this is the prequel to that. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Mike knows how to handle this situation. Because he's created situations just like it. Right, and you want to talk about a change in Mike. Well, yeah. guess what happens to those fools? Uh, they get popped. Sure. They don't get tied up and left in the desert sure. for a good Samaritan to find. But they did try to kill him. Right. Although this guy right. did too. He pulled a gun on him. Yeah, he would have he killed him. Had yeah, he, I think you're right. Him. I think you're right. So you do see a change in Mike eventually. Uh, observation the third. Didn't the makeup girl remind you of the Muppet hippie chick Janice? Yes, yes, she did. Muppet hippie chick? Yeah, man. Dr. Teeth? Doctor, Who's Dr. Teeth? The band, the, the, the psychedelic band in the Muppets. No. She's got the big Never a lips fan. and the long hair. Muppet hair. babies, She's for maybe. sure, man. Okay, well, 
Janice wasn't in the Muppet Babies, so... Yeah, not that I knew of. You're forgiven. Uh, Sienna C. I love this show, but I should probably just shut up and enjoy it. But I found it very unlikely that Jimmy would show up at the copier place at the exact same time in the middle of the night that Ernie was there. Right. Also, that he knew that Chuck would come later to verify in person. Maybe that's how Chuck always is. Fine. But while he was bribing the guy, I was wondering how he knew Chuck would come later instead of just having Ernie's report come back be enough. Now you know exactly how I feel in season one of Fargo. Well, he was looking for proof, (laughs) right? I mean, that's the thing. Like, Chuck... Or sorry, Jimmy saw that Ernesto didn't get any real proof. All he got was the word of the the guy at the counter. It's not like he took a tape with him. So having seen that, this is Jimmy's only opportunity. And and if Chuck is going to get proof, well, he's got an opportunity here to to nullify that, to to remove the evidence. Yeah, no, I again, I it, it is a stretch. Why was he there right as Ernesto got it's there? It's a stretch. It's very convenient. But if you want to pull a Fishnado situation, or if you want to pull a 737 down over ABQ situation, the best thing you can do is make that payoff as awesome as you possibly can. And I found this very rewarding, and I didn't feel like I was jerked. I mean, I was jerked around, but I didn't feel like I was jerked around. But that's a very yeah. subjective thing, you know? Sure. Nick P says, I think, uh, and this is the last one, I think I know why everyone who works on this show goes the extra mile to make the highest quality show they can. I was listening to an insider podcast, and Vince praised costume designer Jennifer Bryan for her attention to detail and dressing Jesse in the final season of Breaking Bad. Which I want to sit down and break that down, because this was some new science that was dropped. Hmm. Jesse, in the, in, in the final season of Breaking Bad, is wearing... The shirt that Todd was wearing when he murdered the child out in the desert. Okay. And there's this whole rationale that this costume designer had in her head about, like, well, you know, Jesse can't be wearing the same clothes all the time because they just rot off his body. So the neo Nazis would have to put him in something. Todd's keeping him like a pet, so he'd probably dress him in his clothes. And the mindfuck of him wearing the shirt that he, like, like, you know, again, no one notices that. But it's cool. But even the fucking costume designer is thinking about how to make extra special. And that's what I'm saying. Like, is Vince a genius? Sure. Is Peter Gould a genius? Sure. But everyone cares about this shit and stuff that they don't even know themselves. Like, yeah. like that was a genuine kind of like thing, a delightful surprise for Vince to find out in the podcast. Like, he was impressed. And, and yeah. this is the point that Nick P is getting to. This leads me to believe that the whole crew works as hard as they do in order to get Vince's praise. He's such a kind-hearted person that pays attention to every crew member of his shows that they all want to think of that clever idea that will get that attention. It seems like the right way to run a show as opposed to leading by fear of, or punishment. What do you guys think? Yeah, everything I hear Vince Gilligan say about the industry and like working on one of these sets, uh, working on one of these big projects, is he expects you to bust your ass. And I... And he talks about it as like, look, that's the only way to really prove yourself in this thing is to go above and beyond every opportunity you get. Um, And I get the impression that he looks for those people um, and he he kind of separates the wheat and the chaff a bit. And and if he thinks that you have gone above and beyond on a project, he will bring you in uh, kind of under his wing. And he he creates a, a team around him. And I... That that has got to be why this is so much better than a lot of the shows you see. But I also think that there's something to him being such a nuts and bolts kind of cinema geek. 
mm-hmm. and he knows like what is involved in these stunts and these camera moves and the fact that you've got to have this coordination of Steadicam operators and you've got this seventy oh, yeah. year old that helps. Seventy year old crane is counterbalanced by this crazy liquid mercury system and like he you know, it's like always frustrating when you go to a boss after you busted your ass on this project you're really proud of and you hand it off to them and they're like, Oh, thanks and toss it to the you know where 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 Vince gets geeked out about like, Oh my god, you did that? Right. Oh, you blew my mind, I can't believe it. I would bet that that does have a positive feedback loop. Yeah, I, th- I think it's two-way street there, right? Like, he praises the people who blow him away, yeah. and the people blow him away because that's who they are. Yeah. Like, there's... I don't know, I get the, I just get the impression listening to him talk on these insider casts that uh, he he seeks out talent, and if you prove yourself to him, he he appreciates it and yeah. likes and likes to work with those people. And he just has that capability to do so because a lot of directors I've heard don't have quite that much respect for the craft. It's more of like, you know, I need you to do this and I need you to do that. And I want the thing like that. And then they, you know, go off and you let the underlings do the work and you come up and like, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. Let's go. Yeah. It's not like, you know, they probably don't spend the time like, Oh my God, how clever or wow, that's so cool. Or I can't believe you found such a great, it's, you know, and, and the fact that Vince can appreciate their art on that level um, because he does take a personal interest and he's, he's, you know, uh, he wasn't just a guy in the writer's room, not giving a shit about what's going on in production. Um, I don't know. I feel like that that's, that's had this intense kind of loyalty because people do feel appreciated. Oh yeah. And on the flip side of that, I also think there's, I get hints every once in a while that he won't tolerate any less. Like not that he's going to yell and scream. He's not that kind he of guy. Be back. Yeah. You just, you won't be asked back. And it, where have you gotten that impression? Because that's the it's, thing. Like, it's just the way he talks about some of this stuff. Like, you've you got to, you got to be this kind of person, and you've got to go above and beyond. And like, huh. I get the impression that the flip side is also true. He won't tolerate less than that. Because I thought he was more of a higher, tough man and jeezy kind of guy. That what well, I guess part of that is letting go of the people that are not fitting in. But it's yeah, it's it's hard for me to imagine Vince firing people. But I know he does all the time. He would like have actors, to, yeah. if nothing else. Right. Hey, I'm killing you this episode. Great working yep. with you. <laughs> Got to be done. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully it'll be a cool death. But yeah. um, I don't know. He's an interesting guy. That's uh, I, I remember talking on the forums. Someone asked me what if I did get a chance to sit down with Vince Gilligan for 30 minutes, what would you want to ask him most about? I said, to be honest, his management style. Because it's, it's rare and refreshing to see a person who presents as nice and also that no one says bad things about. Uh, yeah, to get this kind of crazy attention to detail. Like, I guess Pete Jackson is another one. It just seems like he's this barefooted hippie running around sprinkling dust all over his productions, and everybody's right. having a great time. Wait until he gets the lawnmower out and comes after you. Well, sure, but <laughs> but you know, there's like a couple of these happy-go-lucky people that are super fun, and then you got the stories about like uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick and how maniacal he is. It's yeah. total opposite, right? But I think you have to have a lot of intent, and in that has to manifest itself in some ways that some people would probably perceive as negative, right? I can't imagine that Vince Gilligan has never had to, like, jump jump down somebody's throat. Probably not, yeah. Uh, but, but the majority of the time, he doesn't have to do that because he's right. running things. He's running a, a better ship than that, so yeah. he doesn't get that reputation. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, even as a professional, you shouldn't have to scream, even if someone just really fucks up. Right. If they're just a fuck up, then get you get rid, rid of them. Why yell at them? Just get rid of them. Yeah. And if they're not a fuck up, they're a good employee that just made a mistake. Well, you know, they know they made the mistake, and that's usually right. all that you need to say about it. So Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, fascinating guy, that Vince Gilligan. Uh, that's all we got. If you'd like to send us feedback, bettercastsall at baldmove.com and forums.baldmove.com is where you go to do that. All right, cool. We got the finale coming up next week, so... Man, I'm so excited. We will definitely be back for that. Big uh, week next week. Finale. Finale, Better Call Saul. Game of Thrones Game is of starting Thrones back premiere. up. Can you fucking believe it? <laughs> yeah, season six of that. Uh, so we'll have our preview cast out on Tuesday. You are doing a bunch of podcasts with Cecily. You've got I Banshee am. going on right now. Yep. You've got Penny Dreadful coming back in, like, May, May 1st. 1st. Are you Okay. So it'll be, like, May something i actually think we'll have a podcast out. first is oh yeah so we'll, we'll we'll it'll be out probably that tuesday evening kind okay of, remember in the old days when we had full-time jobs mm-hmm. and we'd record the podcast tuesday night and it wouldn't get out to like midnight yeah and now we get it out like you know early in the afternoon well cecily still has that full-time job so yeah we got on the rocks <laughs> every other tuesday so don't get yeah. too gung-ho about tuesday night but that's the uh, thing. Who it knows? knows? I, I can't. I'm, as, as soon as we can get it out, uh, yeah. Tuesday is the. Uh, um, I mean, that's on the rocks is perfect because we can actually come over here, record a podcast, and just ride r- roll right to the rocks. But okay, um, so look for that. Those two uh, Banshee and Pretty Dreadful coming up. Yes, uh, and yeah, we'll be back for the finale. See you guys next week. Bye bye. <laughs>